Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. My name is Peter Roman, and over the next hour, I'll be going through some of the biggest moments in the world of sports and playing some pretty great music along the way. So this week's show is actually more of a preview show. I'm not reviewing as many sporting moments, but looking ahead to a lot of sporting moments because I'll have... Most of my FIFA Women's World Cup preview this week, and then next week I'm going to have my bracket for that tournament. The Copa Americas preview will be next week as well. But then I also have UEFA Champions League final preview. That game takes place this weekend. And my opening segment today is an NBA Finals preview because the Toronto Raptors made the finals, which is... Very, it still feels a little weird to say, I think, just because Toronto's never had this kind of success before from their basketball team. But here we are. They defeated the Milwaukee Bucks in six games with a critical win in game five in Milwaukee. And of course, the closeout game, game six, where they were down, they were down by like 15 points and were able to make the comeback. And in the end, win 100-94 to to send the Raptors franchise into their first ever NBA Finals appearance. First of all, speaking of the Conference Finals series, is I have to give nothing but credit and respect and admiration to the Toronto Raptors for what they did. And finally overcoming the hurdle of the Eastern Conference as they finally are now into the NBA Finals, and it, which is amazing, right? And that's when Masai Ujiri made the DeMar DeRozan trade over the summer. That was his end goal. He wanted his team to have a chance to win a championship and to make the finals. Here they are. And, I mean, I have a ton of praise to go around, but especially from Game 5 and 6, Wow, Fred Van Vliet is just a completely different player now. I know Kawhi Leonard's the guy who gets all the praise and whatnot, and rightfully so, Kawhi's the best player on this team, but Fred Van Vliet, for those of you who don't know, he actually, his kid was born in between games three and four, and so his kid was born and he was like driving back and forth between his home and like where he had to play the next day and stuff like that. So running on like very little sleep, Van Vliet basically just didn't miss anymore. He, I think he just, I don't know, something in his mindset was like, yeah, I'm not going to miss shots anymore because Van Vliet has just been sniping three-point shots since his kid was born, and those bench minutes have been massive for the Raptors, especially since Danny Green continued to struggle against Milwaukee, and he's a guy that I think Toronto will hope can get going in the finals against Golden State, but I'll get to that in a minute. Van Vliet was just exceptional off the bench, and Kyle Lowry, this might have been the best playoff series I've ever seen in a Raptors jersey from from Kyle Lowry. I'm not going to lie. This series... It felt like Kyle Lowry's series in so many ways. Like, there was that play in in game six, closeout game in Toronto, where he dove on the floor twice to get the loose ball and push it ahead to Kawhi Leonard for the slam dunk. Like, that's, that's the kind of thing you want to see out of your leader, out of the guy that really is, in a lot of ways, has been one of the faces of the franchise for the last seven years. So it was very nice to see that out of a guy like Kyle Lowry and to see that moment in game six when Kyle and Masai Ujiri hugged it out after they won was really special because there was a lot of animosity in that relationship after the DeMar DeRozan trade. But ultimately sports... That's kind of why you make those gambles, because sometimes they work. And when they work, it's pretty tremendous. Kawhi Leonard, obviously, I mean, I think, (laughs) 
I, I think enough has been said already about how great he's been in this postseason. Like, the comparatives to what Kawhi has done so far this season are a list of all-time great players, and that's about it. Because Kawhi has been everything and anything Toronto's needed to him needed him to be, and I'm not going to say he's for sure going to stay after this season because he is a free agent, but I certainly think that the odds are probably in Toronto's favor that he stays beyond this season. I'm not sure for how long, just because some players like to take those one-year contracts and essentially just wait for the salary cap to go higher so they can get even more money the following year. Like LeBron did that a lot of years. Kevin Durant has done that over the last few years. So it's not a guarantee that even if Kawhi stays, he'd sign a five-year max, although that's, I think, what most people would likely expect him to sign. But anyway... I really hope he stays, and I think the odds are probably in Toronto's favor at this point, as opposed to a few weeks ago where maybe they wouldn't have been. But the Game 7 buzzer-beating winning shot, and now he's gotten the Toronto Raptors into their first ever NBA Finals. Marcus Gasol, another guy I want to give credit to, he weirdly, in these last couple games, in Game 5, game five and Game 6 against Milwaukee, he missed most of his shots, but then late in the game, he hit, like, really clutch ones. A little weird, but, I mean, I'm sure every Toronto fan is not complaining about that one. Not by any stretch. And his defense, I mean, even just for his defense alone, he's been good. It's just his offense has been lacking compared to what his defense has brought to this team. So, yeah, it was very nice to see that out of Marcus Gasol. Norman Powell... Tremendous again off the bench. Serge Ibaka, big-time minutes, big-time production off the bench as well for Toronto, who finally got that bench production. I was a little worried about their bench just because it felt like they really missed OG Ananobi a lot. But I think in this series, the bench really stepped up and helped get the Raptors to a place they've never gone before because now they are in the NBA Finals. Their opponent in the NBA Finals is unfortunately the current dynasty, possibly the best dynasty in NBA history, the Golden State Warriors. Golden State are a little bit injured, though. So I'm not saying the Raptors are going to win the series. I actually, my prediction is Warriors in five, but that's just because I have so much respect for the Golden State dynasty and what they've been able to accomplish. And not to mention their team is just way more talented. Like, when I look at the NBA Finals series, Kawhi Leonard is probably the best player in the series. Especially with Durant hurt. Kawhi's probably the best player. The problem is that if Kawhi's the best player, Steph Curry is not that far behind. Like, he's, you know, marginally behind Leonard. And if Durant comes back healthy, there's another guy who's marginally behind. And then... Clay Thompson, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anyone on the Raptors. This is more in praise of Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson's way better than anyone else on the Raptors roster. Draymond Green is also way better than anybody else other than Leonard on the Raptors roster. So, when you consider that, that's kind of why Golden State are such heavy favorites. Not to mention they've won three out of the past four championships, back-to-back championships. So. It's going to be a real uphill battle for the Raptors in this series because Golden State rightfully gets a ton of praise and rightfully is a dynasty. And therefore, it's really hard to beat a dynasty. Although, the one thing I will say is that regardless of what happens in this NBA Finals series, this is still special. This is still a massive moment in Canadian basketball. And even if Toronto gets swept in this finals, which I'm not going to say it wouldn't happen, but you never know. Even if Toronto got swept by Golden State, that shouldn't take away or it shouldn't diminish what has already happened in this postseason. Because what's already happened is really special. And I think every Raptors fan, every Canadian basketball fan, they should be really happy and really proud of what has already happened this postseason. 
regardless of what happens in the finals. Just because it's really hard to beat a dynasty. <laughs> As the Utah Jazz of the 1990s can attest to. As, you know, the New York Knicks can attest to for many years. And as the Houston Rockets recently can attest to. So it's really hard to beat a dynasty. But anyway, I do think there is a path to victory, though, for Toronto. But it's not easy. And it requires a lot of, basically, just a lot of tremendous play. And hopefully some not-so-great play on the other side. But anyway, I have six, I pointed out six keys that I think Toronto needs to focus on in this series in order to help possibly win against Golden State. My first key, and this has to do with the injury, so DeMarcus Cousins is expected to be back at some point in this final series. However, there are question marks around, you know, if he does come back, is he going to play heavy minutes, right? There's a lot of those type of questions. And basically, my first key is... When, Because Cousins can shoot the three-pointer, and he's a really good center. But when Golden State, when Cousins isn't on the floor, and when they, when they go with one of their other bigs, whether it's Looney or Bogut, Damian Jones, <clears throat> or anybody else, really, if they go with one of their other bigs, Marc Gasol better be parked. And I mean literally parked in the paint. I know there's the three-second thing, right? So take a step out every now and then. But... He better be parked in the paint because nobody, no one else in the Warriors who plays center, unless they go to their death lineup, but that's a different, that's a different conversation. But when they go with one of their bigs, whether it's Looney, Jones, Bogut, whoever, when they go with one of those guys, Gasol has to be in the paint all the time because those guys can't shoot. And those guys really only get their baskets underneath the rim by getting rebounds. So Gasol has to be in the paint, disrupting any kind of layup from Curry or Green or Thompson or Iguodala, and he has to out-rebound the Warriors big on the other side. It's different when Cousins is in the game, because again, Cousins can hit three-pointers, so he can stand on the perimeter, and that means Gasol would have to come out, but unless Cousins is in the game, or if Golden State go with their death lineup, Gasol better be in the paint, and he better not leave there. So that's my first key. My second key is, and this is something that the Raptors got better at in the conference finals, hitting open shots. Toronto really struggled with hitting open shots against the Philadelphia 76ers, but got a lot better at it against Milwaukee. They're going to need to be absolutely on fire on their open shots because this is the Golden State Warriors. You cannot let them breathe for a second. If you do, they will kill you as Houston and Portland and everybody else and like Cleveland, like anybody will tell you it's, you cannot let your foot off the gas. Speaking of not letting your foot off the gas, key number three, no lead is safe. Golden State is the one team in the NBA that when they have a seven point deficit, it feels like a one point deficit because they're Golden State. They go on these crazy runs in like two, three minutes where all of a sudden a 10-point deficit becomes a tie game instantly because Curry hits a couple shots or Thompson hits a couple shots or Green gets a couple layups or something. If you're the Raptors, no lead is safe. You cannot get comfortable for a second against this Golden State team. They are way too good because if, if Toronto lets their foot off the gas for even a second, Golden State will go on like an 8-0 run. So, cannot get comfortable ever. My key number four is make Draymond Green dribble the ball. And, and I know this is a little bit of a weird one because Draymond is a really good playmaker. But that's because Draymond's passing is A+. His dribbling and his ball handling actually, when you look at it, isn't. <clears throat> Green's also a little bit prone to turnovers. So if you're the Raptors... If you can get Draymond Green to be a ball handler, maybe you can get some turnovers in there. The Raptors are really good on defense, so you can get some turnovers, and that way the ball isn't in the hands of Curry or Thompson or even Durant or Cousins. So I would say try and make Draymond a ball handler, 
but not a playmaker, which is, I know, way easier said than done. That's a, that's a pretty obvious one, but still something, you know, again, it's really hard to beat a dynasty. Key number five, and this is, this is more of a recommendation, my number five key in this for the Raptors, and that is until Kevin Durant comes back, because he definitely for sure is not going to play game one, and we'll see how much he plays, if at all, in the first few games. But until Durant is back, because obviously when Durant's in the game, Kawhi Leonard's has to guard Kevin Durant because there's nobody else on the Raptors who would even come close to being able to guard Kevin Durant. But until he comes back, maybe Nick Nurse wants to put Leonard on Curry. It's kind of really hard to guard Steph Curry, but Kawhi with his wingspan, his defensive like instincts and stuff like that maybe he's the best guy to put on curry i i know i love kyle lowry and the defense he plays on curry and like on everybody but leonard i think would be a much better defender of steph because of how how much he moves and just how good he is at shooting the ball and that way there can be better contests and stuff like that my last key is also related to Curry, but it's on the defensive end of the floor. Attack Curry on defense. Curry's not a bad defender, but the problem is that when Golden State go to their death lineup, and even, let's assume Durant and Cousins aren't going to be back. So the death lineup, essentially, or the miniature version of it, would be Curry, Thompson, Iguodala, Green, and probably Livingston. Those five, four out of five are great defenders. Curry's the only guy that isn't. He's not a bad defender, but he's a pretty average NBA defender. And everyone else on that lineup is a good defender. So you want to attack Curry on defense. Kind of similar to what Houston did a year ago. They had some success with that. So Curry's definitely the guy you want to target on the other end of the floor. I mean, those are my six keys. Doing all of those doesn't guarantee a Raptors win. Not by any means. But... Certainly, I think it gives them a better chance in this series. And again, this is already a special moment. At this point, I hope... I mean, it would be really cool to see Toronto win. But even if they don't, there's no shame in losing to a dynasty. And there's a lot of pride that should be taken for a franchise that's now finally in their first ever NBA Finals. That's it. That's all I have to say. That was a really long segment, but you know what? It was a special moment, and I'm really excited for the finals to get started here this week. And coming up in my next couple segments, I will be previewing the FIFA Women's World Cup. They announced their full rosters. Every country has announced their full roster for the tournament, and it's going to get started here in about a week. So... It should be a ton of fun, and I look forward to it. For right now, I just have the one song in my first music break, and that is Van Halen and Jump. Shuffling through all your old music and boring. Experience the new world of radio from Mount Royal University. CMRU.ca broadcasts online 24-7. 365. And talk it up like, yeah. CMRU.ca, by students, for you.
listen to CMRU.ca by students for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. My name is Peter Roman and I'm into my second segment of the day because my first one was really long today, but it was kind of necessary just because at the same time, it was such a historic moment in Canadian basketball history. I felt it deserved a really long segment. Anyway, on to my next one. Previewing the FIFA Women's World Cup. I'm going to do that over my next two segments, and I'll explain why. Just because in this segment, I'm going to talk generally about the World Cup for those who might not be as familiar with it, because it is certainly not the global tournament that the Men's World Cup is, but it's still pretty big um, nonetheless. And in my second segment previewing, I'm going to go through every single group, every single team, and talk about a little bit about the team and just a player to keep your eyes on in France. So I'll start with the actual preview of what the tournament is itself. And the Women's World Cup is still fairly new when you think about sporting events, just because it began in 1991. That was the inaugural FIFA Women's World Cup hosted in China. And, well, now we're in 2019. So it's nice to see that the tournament has come quite a long way. So as far as the differences between the Women's World Cup and the Men's World Cup, the Women's World Cup only has 24 teams compared to the 32 on the men's side, and that's going to be 48 by 2026 on the men's side. So they're, the Men's World Cup's getting even bigger, but the Women's World Cup recently expanded um, from 16 teams to 24 teams, and that was... The first time they did that was the last tournament in Canada when we hosted in 2015. So it, it is a smaller tournament than what the men's one is, but I don't think that's really that surprising. France, as hosts, this will be the first time that they host a FIFA Women's World Cup. Previously, they have hosted the Men's World Cup back in 1998 when they won the tournament, and they also hosted the 2016 European Championships on the men's side as well. So France more than, I think, equipped to be able to host a Women's World Cup this summer, considering they've hosted major tournaments recently. Women's football, despite not being as popular as the men's game, is actually on the rise. And I think it's a very cool thing to see, because I want these players to be able to play professionally and so many of them are just because there are like obviously there's still a lot of growing for the women's game to have but as far as actual numbers and stuff like that like it is very promising the kind of growth that's been seen out of the women's world cup so these are statistics taken from fifa's website this was for the world cup in canada in 2015 for the Women's World Cup, there was 327 million people that watched at least 20 consecutive minutes of the event, which was an 32% increase from the previous tournament held in 2011 by Germany. So that in itself, a 32% increase from Germany 2011 to Canada 2015, that is tremendous growth. And 327 million people is a lot of people. And that is nothing that should be, like, dismissed or, like, looked down upon in any way. Because this tournament is still fairly new. And to have those kind of numbers, I think, is something that should be celebrated. Some, it shouldn't be something that is looked down upon because it's not as big as the men's number. Because the men's World Cup has been around since 1930. It's not the same. They've had way more time for this. The Women's World Cup having 327 million is incredible. And I hope to only see that number get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger is essentially my point with, whole, with that whole thing. So I really do love that women's football is getting a lot more attention 
and able to have a ton of its own success. Like even this year, this year there were women's football teams that were selling out some of the biggest club stadiums in Europe. Like I'm talking about the Wanda Metropolitano Stadium in Madrid, which is the home of Atletico. They had a sold out women's match earlier this year. And there was also like a ton of interest in the Champions League final again this year, won by Olympic Lyon. But it's it really is something something really cool and really awesome that's happening in the growth of women's football. Because there are a lot of women's sports that aren't seeing this kind of growth and aren't seeing these kind of numbers. But it's really nice to see the football side anyway growing at this rate. And when I say football, I mean soccer, but I like switching between both. Anyway... As far as the World Cup itself, it starts on June 7th. That is opening day. France will play South Korea in the opening match. And as far as the teams to keep an eye on, so it's not quite... The women's game, obviously not quite the same as the men's game as far as which teams are the powerhouses and the superstars versus on the men's side. So the contenders that I have, that I've listed, as far as a general preview... The United States are a contender as they are the defending champion. The U.S. won the World Cup in 2015 in Canada. They also were finalists the year before that. The United States are the only three-time champions of the Women's World Cup. Germany are also going to be a contender in France. Germany is the defending Olympic champion, and that's another big change from the men's game to the women's game is that on the men's side the olympics is just a glorified under under 23 tournament and the women's side it's actually best on best so the olympic tournament means a lot for them because it's actually the best teams versus the best teams and not on the men's side where it's like well i mean we have these youth teams right so the olympic tournaments actually mean quite a lot so Germany being the defending Olympic champion are certainly going to be a contender in France Japan is my next team they won the tournament in 2011 they were finalists in 2015 so and they also won the Asian Cup as well so Japan certainly will be a contender in France the hosts themselves speaking of France they're also going to be a contender France has never won a Women's World Cup, but being the host this year and having done a lot of research for this, a lot of people who follow the French women's national team, they really think that this is probably the best team they've ever assembled. And so with the men's with the men's French national team having won the World Cup a year ago, certainly a lot of pressure on the women's team to deliver the same feat this summer. And finally, I listed Canada there too. Canada are actually a top five ranked team in the women's game, which is says a lot because the men's program is so terrible, but the women's program is really good. So, I don't know. There's a <laughs> there's a lot of problems I have with the men's national team program, but that's for a different time. That's not for right now. The Canadian women's team has won the has won two consecutive bronze medals at the Olympic Games in both London and in Rio de Janeiro. So, Canada were also quarterfinalists in the World Cup that they hosted in 2015. So they will certainly be, I think, a contender to maybe go all the way and win the whole thing. The next group of teams I wanted to list were the Cinderella stories. And these are the teams that aren't really expected to do a whole lot, but could, you know, if they if they play their cards right, maybe there's a deep run in for one of these teams. So the teams I have listed... I have Nigeria. Nigeria are the African champions. Afri- the African teams are certainly lo- um, not as good on the women's side as they are on the men's side as far as where they're ranked in the world in the FIFA rankings and stuff like that. But Nigeria, the African champions, they will certainly be a team that, you know, maybe there's a, a nice little Cinderella story for them in this tournament to make a deep run. South Korea, I've listed here as well. South Korea are actually the 12th ranked team in the world right now. But when you look at Australia and Japan, those are the two teams that kind of get the most attention in the 
Asian region of qualifying. So South Korea, a little under the radar, I think. But they're certainly a team to watch. China, again, same type of thing. Australia, Japan getting the attention. China, a little bit under the radar as well, heading into France. New Zealand are a team I've had, I have listed here as well. They're ranked around 20th or so. And, I mean, again, you know, there's, a, there's an opportunity there for them as well to possibly get out of the group. And, you know, maybe they get a result in the round of 16. And then Italy's the last team. And I know it's weird seeing Italy in a Cinderella list, but the Italian women's national team is still, I think, in the process of its development and trying to become a top team. So Italy are a team that certainly aren't looked upon as any kind of a powerhouse in the women's game. But again, maybe there's a Cinderella run in there for the Italian women's team. Anyway, that's pretty much all I have to say about the general oversight. Coming up in my next segment, I'll go through every single team. I'll have a little bit about the team and a player to keep an eye on for the tournament that starts on June 7th. For right now, I just have the one song in my music break, and that is Boston with More Than a Feeling. You're listening to CMRU.ca, by students, for you.
listen to cmru.ca by students for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius. Like I mentioned before, I went into my music break. I'm into my second part of previewing the FIFA Women's World Cup. I'm actually going to have my bracket next week just because for time purposes and because I also want to preview the Copa America next week. That's the other major international tournament I'm going to talk about this summer. So I elected to have my Women's World Cup preview mostly in this show. But anyway, every single team, every single group essentially, and a player to keep an eye on. So I'll start in Group A with France. France, like I mentioned in my previous segment, they will be hosting the Women's World Cup for the first time. And with the men's team having won a year ago, and with a lot of people thinking this is the best team they've ever had, a lot of pressure on this women's team to win the whole thing. Player to watch, I have Amadine Henri. She's the captain of the squad. And while she isn't the main goal scorer for the French national team, uh, for the French women's national team, she certainly will be very important in helping to try and lead her team in to the World Cup this summer. South Korea are the next team in the group. South Korea will open the tournament against France. South Korea made the round of 16 in 2015 when Canada hosted the Women's World Cup. Player to watch is Cho Soon Young. She's a midfielder who plays for West who plays her club football for West Ham United. She's also the captain of the South Korean side and will bring plenty of experience into the side and hoping trying to lead her team out of the group stage. Norway Norway actually won the World Cup in 1995 and I'm I'm sure they'll be looking to regain some of that glory. Unfortunately, and this is a little bit of a long story that I'm going to shorten for time purposes, but Norway's best player actually isn't on their team. And that's because reigning women's Ballon d'Or winner Ada Hegerberg, she doesn't play for the Norwegian national team anymore. She got really upset with how the women's national team was treated by the Norwegian Football Association. So she isn't on the team anymore. And that's a real shame because... She's a player that's possibly the best in the world at the moment, and she's not going to be there for the World Cup this summer. As far as a player to watch on their team, Marin Mielde is the player to keep an eye on for the Norwegian team. But again, it's a shame just because if Hegerberg was here, it would be a lot different. Nigeria are the final team in Group A. They, Like I mentioned in my other piece, they're the African champions and will look to make a run at this World Cup, certainly. Asisat Oshawala is the player to watch. She actually won the golden ball for the best player at the Women's World Cup, the Women's Under-20 World Cup, apologies for that. Yeah, so the Under-20 World Cup, she'll be hoping to certainly carry that over onto the bigger stage, onto the actual World Cup stage. Moving on to Group B, Germany, like I mentioned, the defending Olympic champions will be one of the favorites in this tournament. Their player to watch is Jennifer Marozan. She is a key midfielder for four-time Champions League winning side Olympic Lyonnais, who are probably the best FIFA or the best women's club team in the world at the moment in France. So she's certainly a player to keep an eye on this this summer. China are the next team in Group B. China quarterfinalists in 2015. Player to watch is Li Ying. She had seven goals in five appearances at the Women's Asian Cup in helping qualify and will certainly be looking to transfer those performances into the tournament this year. Spain are the next team. Spain, this will be their second ever FIFA Women's World Cup. And they're a team certainly on the rise at the moment. Player to keep an eye on is Jennifer Hermoso. South Africa are the final team in Group B. South Africa will will be making their debut at the World Cup in France. Player to watch is Janine Van Wyck, who actually is apparently the most capped 
player in either women's or men's football in South Africa, which is pretty cool. Pretty cool stat, anyway, according to FIFA.com. Group C, Australia, runners-up at the Asian Cup and quarterfinalists in both the 2016 Olympics and the 2015 World Cup. Player to watch is Sam Kerr, who some people consider to be a top-five player on the planet, so she will be certainly one of the stars in France. Italy qualified for the first time since 1991. Juventus's Barbara Bonasea is the player to watch on the Italian side. Brazil, they finished fourth place at the Rio Olympics. The player to watch is, of course, Marta, who is debatably maybe the best women's player of all time. She actually is the all-time leading scorer at FIFA Women's World Cups with 15 goals, and she'll be looking to add to that total in France. Jamaica, Jamaica's a first-time... This will be the first time that they play at a FIFA Women's World Cup. Striker Khadija Shah is their player to keep an eye on. She'll be needed if they want to try and get out of the group. Group D, England coming off their best finish ever at a FIFA Women's World Cup in Canada when they finished third. And they really only lost on an own goal, which was really heartbreaking for them against Japan in the semifinals. But anyway, the... Player to watch is Lucy Bronze. She is one of the star defenders and is coming off a brilliant performance in the Champions League final. So she will be very key in this English side. Scotland will be making their FIFA Women's World Cup debut. And the player to watch I have is Erin Cuthbert, who plays her club football with Chelsea. Argentina are back for the first time since 2003. The player to watch is their captain, Estefania Banini. And then we have Japan, like I mentioned, finalists in 2015, champions in 2011. Player to watch is Mana Iwabuchi. She's a small winger but has a ton of skill and won the World Cup with Japan. And she was a teenager in the side in 2011. She will be definitely relied upon as one of the more experienced members in 2019. Group E, Canada, looking to try and win the Women's World Cup for the first time ever. They've actually made the semifinals once before. And back-to-back bronze medals certainly has this team in the belief that they can certainly take the next step. As far as a player to watch, Christine Sinclair is kind of the obvious one, and Kadisha Buchanan's kind of the other obvious one. Sinclair is the best Canadian women's player ever, and she's the most well-known easily. And then Buchanan plays her club football with Olympic Lyonnais, like I mentioned. So, And they're the four-time Champions League winning side. And she'll be very important in defense. But kind of a little bit of an underrated name is Jordan Haitema. I'm not sure how much she'll start in this tournament, but she's an 18-year-old who made history. She's the first Canadian women's player to get signed to a professional contract straight out of high school. She will be playing for Paris Saint-Germain next season. So Jordan Haitema is a little bit of a lesser-known name, but could definitely make an impact in France. Cameroon are the next team in this group. Cameroon, this is their second appearance at a FIFA Women's World Cup. Player to watch, Jeanette Yango. New Zealand trying to get out of the group stage for the first time. They've qualified for a lot of Women's World Cups, but haven't really been able to get out of the group. So, if they are going to get out of the group, it, uh, certainly goalkeeper Aaron Naylor will be a very important piece in trying to help them take that next step. The Netherlands are the other final team in this group. The Netherlands are actually the European champions. They won Euro 2017. The player to watch is Shanice van de Sanden, one of the best wingers in women's football, and again, plays for Olympic Lyonnais, which I know is a common theme. A lot of these players play on the same team, but that's because this team is really stacked, so that's kind of why. And then finally, we have Group F. So the United States, like I mentioned, defending champions, and it's really hard to pick a player to watch on the U.S. because they're full of talent everywhere on the roster, but... Considering that I have some bias in this pick, I'm going to pick Julie Ertz, who's actually the, um, she's the wife of Philadelphia Eagles tight end Zach Ertz, and the Philadelphia Eagles are the American football team that I cheer for. Um, but even though, even though it's like my bias in picking Ertz, 
she's still going to be really important to this team. She's their star defensive midfielder. And even though that position doesn't always get the love that it should, it's nonetheless vitally important. And if the United States are going to repeat, Ertz will be a big part of a reason why they would. Thailand are the next team in this group. Thailand, this will be their second FIFA Women's World Cup. Can, <laughs> sorry, excuse me. Kanjana Sunjojin is the player to watch on the Thailand side. And then we have Chile. So for those of you who don't know, I'm half Chilean, half Finnish. So it's very cool. This will be Chile's first ever time at the FIFA Women's World Cup. Player to watch on the Chilean side is Christiane Endler. She plays for PSG in France, which is uh, France's second best team in the league. And then finally, Sweden. Runners-up in 2016 after winning the silver medal. Player to watch on their side is Kosovare As Aslani. So, there's all the teams at the FIFA Women's World Cup. And a player to keep an eye on. It should be a very fun tournament. I look forward to it. Kicks off on June 7th. And Canada's first game is June 10th. So, it should be a lot of fun. I only have one more segment left in my show. I'm going to preview the way for Champions League final really quickly. And then that's pretty much all I'll have for today. Anyway, my next song, The Police and Every Breath You Take.
CMRU by students for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius. I just have time for one last quick little segment, and that is previewing the UEFA Champions League final. And that's mostly because, well, I, I have previews. The Women's World Cup is certainly a massive tournament. I'll be talking about all summer long. Copa America as well which is the South American men's premier football tournament as well. And then there's the UEFA Champions League final, which is this weekend. And there's even the Stanley Cup final that got started as well this week, but only one game's been played so far. And so I didn't feel... I, I didn't feel I should talk about one game because if there's one thing I've learned as a sports fan, never, ever put too much stock in one single game in a seven-game series. In a seven-game series, if you're making your assumptions based off game one, then you're going to end up like Paul Pierce with this horribly wrong prediction after the Celtics beat the Milwaukee Bucks in game one of the second round of the NBA playoffs, where he said the series was over, and then Boston proceeded to lose four in a row. So basically, don't put that much stock into one game is kind of my point with that. So that's why I'm not talking about the NHL today. Anyway, Quickly, Liverpool, Tottenham, UEFA Champions League final this weekend should be a lot of fun. These two teams play really progressive attacking styles of soccer, so that should make for a very fun, exciting game. And considering how the last match between these two ended, I mean, there's certainly going to be a lot on the line. Liverpool won the last time they played 2-1 to one on an own goal by Toby Alderweireld as it came in like the last minute of the game, which was pretty crazy. Salah headed it across, and Hugo Lloris hit it off Toby Alderweireld and in. As far as what these two teams might look like in this game, for the most part, they should be pretty healthy. Harry Kane's expected to be back for Spurs after he's been out for a while with an injury, so that's very promising to see. And as far as how they might line up against each other, it's interesting. The last time these two played... Spurs essentially went with a back three instead of a normal back four that they like to play with. But I think Pochettino was trying to get more numbers and overload in the midfield because they know that Liverpool and the style of the style of soccer that they play with the heavy pressing and stuff like that. I think it's something to try and counteract that and get more more players in passing positions and stuff like that. As far as the key players in this game, Virgil van Dijk, obviously, he was the PFA Player of the Year. He will be relied upon heavily on this Liverpool side. And then their front three, Mohamed Salah, I really, I, I'm kind of rooting for Salah just because he got hurt last year in the Champions League final, and I really hope he can make an impact this year in the game. Firmino and Mane as well, those two as part of the Liverpool front three that is always deadly. On the Tottenham side, Hyunming Sung has had his best season ever as a professional, so he will be a player certainly to keep an eye on. And then, I mean, Christian Eriksen, Dele Ali will be very important if Spurs are going to try and win the Champions League final for the first time ever. Should be a lot of fun. My score prediction, I'm going to say 2-1. Liverpool after extra time. That's it. That's all the time I got. I want to thank everyone for tuning in today. My last song of the day is Blur and Song 2.